Welcome to The Irony of Beauty, a fortnightly podcast hosted by skincare experts Fiona and Rose. They love a good chat and sometimes a heated debate about all things skin and nutrition, calling out scaremongering, misinformation and misleading marketing in an ever-confusing world of beauty and wellness. Please note, the information provided is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace qualified medical advice. How are you, Rose? <laughs> good morning. Or is it good afternoon? <laughs> Still morning, but only <laughs> just. Only just. Um, well, today we're talking about ingredients because I get asked all the time about, does this ingredient work? What about this? I've heard that this doesn't work. Um, is this true? This rep told me this, but then this other rep told me this. Um and people get confused, not only com- consumers, but also skin professionals. And quite often we hear different things all the time. So I thought it would be fun to talk about some of the ingredients that are trending at the moment on social media and and look at do they work, don't they work, what we need to know. Yeah, I think this is good because I do get asked some questions in the clinic um, about specific ingredients. You know, clients are seeing things on TikTok or, you know, Instagram. They ask, how do I use this? Does this work? Does it really penetrate deep enough? Um, does it really get down into the deeper layers of the skin? So, yeah, I think we should create some clarity on some of these things. And something that I'm hearing a lot about at the moment, and I know you and I talk about this one quite a bit, um, and we're probably both on the fence with it, um, but I think it will be huge. It's going to be the next thing trending. I know it will be because it's exosomes. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly skin professionals, they love anything that sounds medical or technical or scientific, we just fall for it. It's like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can tell my clients I've got these medical grade ingredients. And um, exosomes seem to be the latest thing. And I'm seeing a lot of um, medical aesthetic clinics promoting exosomes and exosome serums. And I think it's important to talk about this. Now, I went on I've got access to an ingredient database and ingredient order. So you can go to suppliers and order skincare ingredients, right? So when you're a cosmetic chemist, you get access to all these different things. I could not find anywhere any ingredient supplier that was selling exosomes, which is quite interesting. Are they allowed in Australia yet? Have they been approved here in Australia? I know they're very big in the US. Are they allowed here in Australia? Well, I haven't seen any. I don't even know if they're allowed. Um, what is coming out, though, now are plant exosomes. So um, that, I think, will be the more readily available form of exosome, which I think will be the next big trending thing. So if you remember about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, it was probably 15 years ago now, um, plant stem cells were big, you know, apple stem cells, plant stem cells, and everyone's like, oh, we've got stem cells in our products. Mm-hmm. And then we found out that really they don't do very much at all and there's very limited evidence for plant stem cells. Um, the next thing now is is exosome, exosomes mm-hmm. um, and everyone's getting excited about them. So I think let's let's, what's your feedback on them? Well, look, they are a new, I guess, um, terminology that's being thrown around. I mean, essentially, they're an extracellular vesicle, right? So they are like a signaling molecule to help produce um, or, you know, produce or stimulate the production of stem cells. 
Um, and we know stem cells replicate other cells. So I think I would like to learn more about it. I think I need to know more because when I see something new, I want to know the ins and outs of how effective it is. Um, you know, they're proteins, they contain lipids, they have nucleic acids in them, but how they actually work, I would like to know a little bit more. So from my understanding, they can be beneficial in sort of like the medical arena. Now they're being used in skincare, but but basically they're um, they're like little vesicles that carry information to help with cell signaling. But I think what we need to understand is that there are all different types of exosomes, right? So it's not just, oh, we've got exosomes, this is great. Exosomes are little vehicles, if you like, carrying cargo and the cargo that they are carrying will vary so we need to know what that cargo is and what that cargo is doing in our cells because exosomes we produce naturally in the body some exosomes are going to be beneficial for us and some will be carrying cargo that isn't necessarily we we want to have in skincare put it that way um so there are different exosomes different cargo and they're got, therefore going to have different effects in the skin. So it's not as simple as saying, oh, exosomes are the next big thing and they're going to be great. It ultimately depends on where has that exosome been derived from? What is the cargo that it is carrying? So for instance, some exosomes are going to be good for sort of having an immune type response within the skin, helping to strengthen the, the immune response. Um. Others are going to be having more regenerative uh, a difference, you know, effects in the skin. So it really depends on where that stem cell comes from. From my understanding at the moment, they are t- they are harvested from humans. Mm-hmm. So then my thought process would be one, I don't know if that is allowed yet. Um, it would have to go through intense processing so then how active is that in the final formulation how stable is it in the there's a I've got a lot of questions you know the processing that that stem cell would have to go through to be put into a formulation um the stabilization of that stem cell is it is it going to stay stable and active and how does it then work as a signaling molecule in the skin so there's there's all of that information I get how a stem cell may be used as an injection in regenerative medicine, um, but to use it then in in skincare, I have questions. I do think, and it does seem to be, there are companies now bringing out plant exosomes, which in theory would be little carriers of, I don't know what, nutrients, antioxidants, who knows what they're going to be, Um to have a beneficial effect on whether it's on soothing of the skin or antioxidant benefits. So they are coming, but how great they are, how much evidence, I think we need more information and there needs to be more evidence behind them. Because the reality is there's only a handful of ingredients that do have peer-reviewed evidence-based information. And those ingredients are things like retinaldehyde, um, hydroxy acids, I think hyaluronic acid has got some good um, evidence behind it. But a lot of these stem cells and exosomes, um, plant ingredients don't actually have real robust evidence like 
niacinamide like L-ascorbic acid. So whilst the manufacturer may have some kind of in vitro um, study in a Petri dish, in vivo studies and um, randomised control trials tend to be limited. And so I do think that a lot more information needs to be required um, before we can really make our minds up about exosomes. Yeah, and it comes down to the same thing, doesn't it? We we know those ingredients that are evidence-based. We know those ingredients that have the studies to prove, to say that they're doing what they say they're going to do. I don't have enough information for me to be able to be convinced with exosomes yet. Um, I would like to know how different they are to growth factors. Stem cells, apple stem cells, plant stem cells, I never got onto that because I don't believe you can create a human stem cell from a plant stem cell. You can't do it. The only thing that can replicate a human stem cell is a human stem cell. And we can't, we're not allowed to do that. (laughs) So in skincare anyway. So yeah, I don't have enough information for me to be able to even talk about exosomes. You know, I know what they are, I understand what they are, but how different is it to using a growth factor in a serum? How different is it to doing PRP on the skin. You know, I've seen amazing results from those, but exosomes, I'm not 100% convinced yet. Yeah, and I'm not 100% convinced yet. I would like to see more more evidence, more information. And as I said, you know, the plant stem cells, plant exosomes, maybe they're going to have an anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effect in the skin, but what's the difference between that and, you know, something else? So the jury is out, but I do think they will be the next latest trend that we will see because skincare manufacturers are always looking for what's going to be trending. And, you know, if somebody is like, oh, exosomes, oh, I'm going to buy that because it's got exosomes in. So I think that will be something that that starts to trend in the next couple of years. Um, something I also get asked about, and I got asked this recently, was on hyaluronic acid. And I, I actually had somebody say to me, you know, I was told that hyaluronic acid is a waste of time. It doesn't actually really penetrate the skin and it doesn't really do what we think it's doing. Is it really a waste of time or does it really work? Um, And it's an interesting one. We do know that hyaluronic acid does work. There is evidence to support hyaluronic acid. What is misleading about hyaluronic acid or the common belief is that hyaluronic acid puts back the hyaluronic acid in your skin. Um, We know that hyaluronic acid is part of the ground substance in the dermal layers of the skin and it's what makes the skin nice and plump and and juicy. Where it doesn't work is when we put on topical hyaluronic acid, it doesn't penetrate down into the dermis and plump back up the dermis. Um, That's not going to happen. Our skin is meant to keep things out for it to pass through the basement membrane for it to get through into the dermis the dermis is a sterile environment so any ingredient that enters into the dermis is going to create an immune response because it's not meant to be in there so technically it shouldn't really be getting in there um so to to claim that an ingredient does actually we're not allowed to do that in cosmetics because hyaluronic acid is a cosmetic ingredient. Um, When it comes to hyaluronic acid, though, there are different molecular sizes of it. There's a small size, medium, and a large. Now, one is not necessarily better than the other. 
but different molecular weights will affect how deep they go into the skin. So the smaller the molecular weight, the further it will go into the lower layers of the epidermis, um, medium, then obviously the larger molecule is more superficial. But just because it's superficial doesn't mean to say it's not working because ultimately it's all working in the epidermis. The higher up it's working, the more plumping effect we're going to get. So I think actually the studies are on best evidence for the medium weight, actually, hyaluronic acid. Some companies will actually use a combination of small, medium and large weight to get all layers and maximum hydration. Some will use a smaller for, for deeper um, hydration. Some will use larger because they want more of a plumping instant radiance. And some will use a mixture of hyaluronic acid with other humectants and hydrating ingredients. It each comes down to the final formulation. One thing that I, I did get told once by a skin therapist, because there, a lot of companies are coming out, mainstream consumer companies now, available in pharmacies with hyaluronic acid serums. I believe that the L'Oreal hyaluronic is a, the biggest selling um hyaluronic serum in the world and that uses I think it's an acetylated hyaluronic acid so it penetrates quite deeply and it's it's um hydrating and then I hear sometimes therapists saying oh well there's just not enough in there to do anything and I I actually said to a therapist once how much hyaluronic do you think you need for it to be effective in the skin how much do you think just I'm curious oh you're asking me oh I yes. thought you were going to say what you asked the therapist I'm like, are you still there? Have you frozen? How, how much would you say, though? Look, if you're using hyaluronic acid, whether it's low molecular weight or high molecular weight, if you've got hyaluronic acid, a derivative or not derivative, it's in there. You don't need a lot. It's still going to do the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, whatever serum you're using has hyaluronic acid in it. Point being, it's sitting in the epidermis. It is not penetrating down to the dermis. It will hold a thousand times its own weight in water, obviously. So it's going to create a hydrating effect on the skin, maybe make those, those cells look plump. It's a nice ingredient to use. I think it is good, but um, it is not going to get down into the dermis. Um, we have our production of our own hyaluronic acid that does create that ground substance in our dermal layer, which does give us that plumpness, yes. But the only way you can essentially produce more of your own, you know, things like collagen peptide powders, right? That's done, Rose. Phytosol. <laughs> Get on it, everyone. Um, going to say, the collagen peptides, they do. That's what you need to do. That is the way to, to produce your own hyaluronic acid. If you want to get plump skin, do that. Use hyaluronic acid if you want, topically, um, in a product. Um, and, yeah, sure, it will create hydration. It's going to hold the water to the skin. It's a humectant at the end of the day, right? Um, but to to think that it's going to penetrate into that dermal layer, no. Um, there's even well, hyaluronic fillers. They will. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. Bio remodeling. That's what bio remodeling is. It injects hyaluronic acid into the dermal layer. Yeah. Um, but it's something you have to keep on doing, right? You know. Yeah. Mine's worn off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you might as well just take two teaspoons of collagen peptide powder and there you go. <laughs> and there you say, go. Have it in your coffee. Um, but getting back to my percentage question, which you beautifully avoided. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, 
I'll leave that to you. I'll save you. I'll save you. You beautifully avoided it. Um, the therapeutic amount, because I just find it really interesting because therapists are like, oh, you know, I hear them go, oh, the ordinary is just not enough in there to do anything. I'm like, well, actually, um, the therapeutic amount for hyaluronics around 0.1 to 1%, you know, some companies will use even 2%, but it, it's small, right? So under 1%, you can still have hydration benefits from it. Um, and of course, don't forget, often brands will mix beautiful other humectants with it. Like glycerin is one of my favorite humectants for hydration of the skin. Glycerin is incredible. A little hack I'm going to share with you, which every skin therapist will hate me for sharing this. Pure glycerin on the skin. When my skin's feeling really, really dehydrated, I literally put 100% pure glycerin on my skin and then a moisturizer over the top and my skin, I, I go to bed like it because it's very sticky. You wouldn't use it as a high-end serum. Um, put a moisturizer over the top, go to bed, and my skin is like baby skin in the morning. Interesting. Interesting. Amazing. Um, Just to feel it for myself. Honestly, it's... Well, glycerin is a humectant and you would you normally use up to about 5% in a formula because any more than that, it will go quite sticky on the skin. But I use just pure glycerin sometimes, not all the time, um, just when I feel like I need a little extra boost of hydration. But glycerin is beautiful to mix with hyaluronic. Um, beta-glucan, I'm a huge fan of, of beta-glucan that's also hydrating in the, the epidermis. And there's a new ingredient out now that people may have heard of called pentavitin. Um, that's a trade name, but it's called saccharide isomerate. And that is an intense humectant that actually binds to the keratin in the skin and retains moisture. Um, and it's in a lot of, I'm noticing ingredient or in products coming out at the moment. Um, it's an incredible humectant. So quite often when you combine ingredients, you'll get better hydration than just purely relying on hyaluronic. And the gold standard for humectants and hydrating ingredients is actually sodium PCA. More, mm. It's more hydrating than hyaluronic acid. Um, and that tends to be used in a higher percentage. But hyaluronic acid at, um, you know, 0.5%, you're still going to get a good result, especially depending what else it's it's mixed with. So again, um, when people ask me about percentages, I, I usually try and steer them away because they don't understand that it's not just a percentage of one single ingredient, it's what else it's mixed with. And it's the delivery system. So talking of delivery systems, there's a new delivery system now for hyaluronic and a few other ingredients, particularly peptides, called drone technology. Mm, I have heard of that, yes. Um, so drone technology is a new delivery system, which means you don't need to use the same percentage of active ingredient because the drone technology is delivering the ingredient exactly to the targeted cell. So my point being, you can't just say this is the percentage that you require in a skincare ingredient, more is better, because if you've got a really, really targeted delivery system, you may need less of an ingredient or you may need less hyaluronic because you've got other hydrating ingredients in there. So percentages are very misleading. And when people promote the higher percentage, the better, they usually don't understand what they're talking about. And it usually tells me that that brand doesn't have really advanced delivery systems or 
a good combination of actives and they're just maybe using a cheap basic ingredient at a higher percentage to sell the product um, because there are some brands that just purely promote on the highest percent possible and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a better result and I think that's important to understand. But when it comes back to the drone technology, this is um, delivery system on the skin technology that it's almost like a um, an ingredient that has been pre-programmed like a GPS system. So okay. the ingredient targets one specific cell receptor in the skin. It's It's like the drone will dock. It's like it's programmed. The drone will dock with that cell receptor. Um, it then becomes engulfed with the cell membrane and enters the cell itself. I think this is absolutely incredible. Um, the drone technology is meant to be made of um, a synthetic polymer network. So polymers are basically large molecules that are joined together and then there's some sort of signaling peptide attached to, to dock on. Um I find it fascinating that we're now getting to that degree of um, technology where we can kind of program ingredients to target specific cell receptors. So in theory, drone technology is very exciting. You don't need as much of the active because you know it's going where it's needed. However, not all ingredients can use drone technology. So that's the downside of it. So you would go, oh, everything should be drone technology, but not not everything can is compatible with drone technology. So it tends to be more peptides. The, the actual ingredient and its function is quite limited with the drone technology that's available at, the, at present. Um, I know things like retinaldehyde, for instance, um, cannot be used by drone technology at the moment because it needs to be should be anyway encapsulated and protected and it's um to have stable retinaldehyde so different forms of or different types of ingredients need different delivery systems i'm a big liposomal delivery fan but again not all ingredients can be put into liposomes and there's also phytosomes which have got more of a polarity and are a bit more stable so there's no one particular delivery system that's better than the other. It ultimately comes down to the type of ingredient that you're using and, and what would be the best delivery system for that. Some delivery systems are basically just working on the polarity of the skin and the polarity of that ingredient. And um, some delivery systems are as crude as alcohol, you know, especially denatured alcohol to um, weaken the cell membranes and sort of help with the absorption of the skin. Other delivery systems um, can be like black pepper derivatives to sort of basically excite the cell membranes and, and help with the absorption. So there's all different types of delivery systems. Some of them will actually disrupt the skin barrier to try and get deeper into the skin. That is why I tend to prefer liposomes and things like that that tend to be quite gentle on the skin. But I thought the drone delivery system is actually quite quite interesting, but it's still very limited as to what ingredients are available to be delivered by drones. I think this is exciting, actually, because it becomes more targeted, doesn't it? You know, 
But it's like you said, um, you have to have, I guess, an understanding of what ingredients are able to be carried by a drone, like in comparison to some other encapsulated delivery system. So we have to understand the difference between what ingredients um, can be utilised by a drone. What are they, Fiona? What what ingredients can be um, utilised by drone delivery? Um, I need to do more sort of research in, in that area, but as far as I've seen at the moment, there's sort of one main manufacturer of the, the drone technology and it tends to be more peptide-based. So things like copper peptides, I think there's hyaluronic acid, um, and I think it may still even be going through approval for use here in Australia. So in Australia, chemicals um, or cosmetics, don't like to use the word chemicals, but they are chemicals. Um, they have to be approved for import here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it might even be all still going through that approval system. I'm not across that. That's not my area. But um, it's all new information, and I know drones are coming to Australia for mm-hmm. use, um, which is very exciting. But from my limited knowledge and from what I've looked at with the drones, I know you can get a hyaluronic acid delivery drone. You can get um, copper peptides. Um, I think there's some skin brightening, lightening, you know, um, ones that work on the melanocyte cell. So it is very interesting. You've also got um, ingredients, peptides that work on skin barrier function. So helping with filigrim production and things like that. So it is quite exciting, but I, I haven't seen any drones for things like retinaldehyde or vitamin C or anything like that as yet. Mm. I think it's really exciting. It's what I love about the industry. Everything's always evolving. Technology is advancing. Um, it's becoming more scientific and how much more accurate we can be with ingredients and how they penetrate the skin and how they activate different receptors. I think it's great. I love it. It makes me more excited about the industry. Um, I think so too. Another ingredient um, or product that I have a lot of clients come through the clinic and they've started to use, which I, I, I'm I still on the fence with this one, um, snail mucin. Yeah. Are they, are they actually using it? Yeah. I've had some clients come through. I've seen more negativity in the skin as opposed to positive positivity. I've seen a lot of breakouts occur from this ingredient. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, look. I'm it's not huge. It's huge on TikTok. There was a, I think there was a serum um trending on TikTok and it was snail mucin. Yeah. Um well, what did um, I say? <laughs> you can oh same, same. Spelt the same. Um so basically snail slime ingredients. Mm-hmm. So snail mucin, and I think there's a serum that's trending on TikTok. Um and it's it's going gangbusters and everyone's using snail mucin. Um the thing with that is it's not actual you know picked up from the snail and then rubbed on your face it has to go through all um some of it's you know it has to go through yeah it's it, it, it's a lot more refined than that put it that way um but if you think about mucin it's basically mucus that the snail produces so we all produce mucus from different orifices, but we won't get into that. Um, And basically that's to protect epithelial cells in the body. The snail produces a lot of mucin, if you like, that's what it's called. Um, And it's rich in proteins and sugars and peptides, and it's particularly rich in hyaluronic acid. That's really why it's trending, because it's rich in hyaluronic acids and proteins and sugars and um, peptides. But 
you can still get the same benefits from hyaluronic acid and peptides and all of the other amazing ingredients that are out there. So I think it is just a trending ingredient. Manufacturers will always look at, oh, you know, what's trendy? Oh, let's do snails. I mean, a few years ago, it was a snail facial where in Asia in particular, I think it was Japan, maybe it was Korea, I'm not sure which country, but they were actually paying hundreds of dollars to have a facial with snails live snails on the face you'd see that and it's um yeah i'm not a fan not a fan at all and that's purely to get the benefit of all the um i guess the live um enzymes and peptides and the the hyaluronic acid from the live snails so yeah there were facials with actual live snails crawling all over your face to me, I wouldn't pay for that. That would somebody would have to pay me to have that done. It sounds like absolute torture. Um, and from that has been derived skincare ingredients with snail mucinin. So there is some evidence that it does contain benefits to the skin. Um, a little bit like I'm really going off topic now, but it would be like oh, I've I've gone there now. I may as well finish semen. Oh, yeah. No, same thing. See, I categorize that on the same level. They're together for me. Um, I don't see the benefit. I'm honestly, I have seen more negativity with snail mucin. I thought you were going to say something else. I know. (laughs) I've seen more negativity with that ingredient than anything else. The clients that have used it because they've seen it on TikTok, whatever, they've had nothing but breakouts. Um, And it might not even be the snail mucin, right? It might be the. I don't know, the emulsifier or the, the preservative or the fragrance, it, 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 whatever else is in there. Yeah, it's oh. sent the skin crazy. It interrupts the microbiome of the skin. Um, yeah, I haven't seen any good come out of that. So, no, I'm not a fan. Sorry to everyone that do loves it. Loves and it, it might be that particular product as well. So it might be the actual final formula. It, it, it might have, I don't know, some comedogenic ingredient or isopropyl myristate in a high amount that's causing breakouts. I don't know. I don't know what's actually, what else is in there. I would imagine it's the mix of the ingredients that's causing the breakout. But in theory, snail mucin has got some nutritious benefits for the skin but you can get those from other ingredients you don't have to have snail essence on your face (laughs) Mm, interesting and then another ingredient that I'm seeing a lot pop up now which I thought was interesting is vitamin b12 like we're going through the whole vitamin chart so b3 we know niacinamide great for skin barrier hydration have to be careful with it though some people can get flushing and irritation from it um the other thing about b3 there's varying qualities of it so if a brand is using a cheap quality b3 um you can more likely react to it because it's got higher amounts of nicotinamide in it and it can be expensive to get the low nicotinamide version so that's the thing with ingredients people don't realize that the quality of the ingredient um, will vary and the price will vary significantly. And you have no idea what one you've got because on the inky list, it will read the same. So you're just trusting the brand. Um, So we've got B3, we've got B5, panthenol, which is um, great for sensitive skin. B2 is making a bit of a, I saw that in something the other day, um, B2. And then B12 and B12 is making a bit of a a headline at the moment and I was a little bit sceptical about it. So I did some research on B12 
B12 is trending at the moment in the ordinary serum, you know, that bright pink Barbie serum. Yeah, I have um, that. And that's the main ingredient in there. Now, B12, there's not much evidence for topical B12, but there does seem to be some weak evidence and some evidence for improving on the skin barrier. So it seems to be good for skin barrier, um, for dryness and for radiance. What is interesting is when somebody has got a deficiency in B12, that can actually decrease the level of reduced glutathione in the skin and that activates tyrosinase, which leads to the transfer of melanin or the transfer of melanosomes. So interestingly, when somebody has got a B12 deficiency, it can make them more prone to hyperpigmentation. Um, so I thought that, was, and then when they they um, improve that deficiency, the the hyperpigmentation goes away. Um, I just thought that was an interesting off off note. But um, B twelve. Um, sorry to interrupt you. I've seen a lot of um, redness in the cheeks with uh, vitamin B deficiencies as well. Yep, that can happen for sure because we need um, vitamin B for skin barrier. Um, however, some vitamin B supplements can aggravate rosacea. So internal um, can actually cause rosacea flare-ups. And I know myself, I'm not really prone to rosacea, but I am prone to redness and sensitivity. And I do find if I took a B supplement, which sometimes I will do because I'm I'm not vegan, vegetarian, but I kind of am. So I don't have the label, but I kind of don't really eat meat. Um, and I'm prone to low B12. So I do find when I take a supplement, my cheeks get quite sensitive, which is quite interesting. Anyway, um, I have been trialing a product for a client that has got B12 in it. Now, I was a bit skeptical of it. Um, this particular product has got incredible other ingredients in there as well. So skin barrier ingredients, it's got peptides, it's got all sorts of ingredients in there. But I have to say, my skin has never felt better. The radiance, the hydration. Um, I know I'm actually naturally low in vitamin B12. So for me, maybe my skin just drank it up and it, it really responded well to it. So whilst there's not much evidence in topical B12, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm liking it. I'm, I'm really liking it. And I think we'll get more products with B12 because also, B12 in a product turns the product pink. Ah, okay. Interesting. So That's it can it can give a natural pink colour. Yeah, that explains the ordinary product. That's really pink, but um usually just a, a subtle pinkness. And I think now we'll start to see, you know, pink hyaluronic acids appearing and and, and more pink serums and pink moisturizers and because of the use of the B12 and the more it gets used in topical skincare, the more studies there'll be. So sometimes just because the studies aren't there or enough of them, um, we we need more, more studies to promote the or prove the efficacy of these ingredients. But obviously if an ingredient has been around for longer, there's going to be more studies on it, obviously. So I think there, there will be more studies and I think we will see more products with B12 appearing as well. There is a product that I do stock in the clinic. Um, Medicaid is the brand. Um, that's one brand that I've got. They have a um, 
vitamin B serum, which has combina- combination of hyaluronic acid and it is pink. So oh. yeah, you have the B12 in it. Mm. Right. So, and it's probably got a mix of Bs in there as well, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. B5 yeah. only. Um, but yeah, it's um, because they call it the hydrate B5 intense serum. So they've combined different vitamin Bs in there. So that will explain the pinkness. Possibly if it's got the B12 in. Yeah. That, that's why it's pink. Um, and so I do find that quite interesting. And I think Bs, Bs are great for the skin. We know when we don't have enough Bs, it can affect skin barrier. Um, and you, start to get that that dermatitis and things like that as well so i'm a big fan of bees for the skin topically um and there is evidence for particularly b5 and b3 but but more emerging evidence coming out now with the the b12 that's good to know i do utilize a lot of b3 and b5 in the clinic for my clients um i love those ingredients for skin barrier function so it's nice to know that there's something new on its way or newish um on its way yeah b12 sounds good Always, always new ingredients. Um, so that's a little recap or an overview, if you like, of, of some of the ingredients that are, are coming up, trending, and and we'll be seeing more of in the future. And I think in our next podcast, we're going to be talking about skin microbiome and some of the ingredients that are involved with that as well. Is it a thing? Is it a myth? Do we need microbiome ingredients? I think that's that's something I get asked about a lot, and that's what we're going to cover in the next one. Looking forward to it. 